What's going on, everybody? We got an awesome episode for you today. Rambler Kane is truly one of my favorite songwriters in Jacksonville. So this was a really fun interview. I was stoked to have him on. But before we get into all that, we got to talk about our 100th episode at Kingmaker Brewery on March 5th. Tickets are on sale now. They're in, in the description below. Make sure you grab them. You want to shout out K9 Social, Mock Shop Music Exchange, uh, Kingmaker Brewery, obviously, and Best Buds CBD Store for being our partners on this thing. But uh, yeah, Rambler Kane was on today. He's just a great dude, man. He's a great songwriter, singer, guitar player. I mean, he's been doing it for like not that long. And it's just amazing to see what he's accomplished so far. Uh, and I really believe that he's gonna go really far in this industry. So uh, without further ado, here's Rambler Kane. We hope you enjoy. Thank you for tuning in. This is Bottom of the Bill. This is Bottom of the Bill. It's a North Carolina word, when y'all are. Oh, gotcha. Two apostrophes, actually. It's only allowed in the deepest of Southern uh, heritage. It's two North apostrophes. Carolina. Yep. When y'all are. Are you, are you from Jacksonville? Yeah. Uh, have you ever heard the term holler? Yeah. Not, not, not like holler, like holler. I mean, yeah, like, like down the holler. Yeah. yeah. You know about that? Yeah. That's fucking wild <laughs> to me. This dude is from South New York. <laughs> otherwise known as Miami and has never heard of this in his life. Yeah. Right? I mean, I don't like use it in sentences, but I I know the term. Yeah, yeah no. <laughs> yeah, well, you strike me as the guy that's listened to some Randy Travis in your day, oh, so yeah. like you know what's up. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I um you know I think that's a Kentucky that's like hill country thing though, for sure. Yeah. Like West Virginia. West Virginia. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I heard somebody use it the other day also, and it like took me back. I was like, oh, it's a real thing. Chris <laughs> isn't just making shit up. <laughs> It's a 50-50 shot. Wait, are you from North Carolina? Yeah, I'm from like uh, Yakinville, North Carolina. Dude, I had no idea. Yeah, up uh, north of Charlotte by about an hour. I've been in Jacks for about eight years. But, okay. Uh, but yeah, that's that's where I'm from, born and raised. Gotcha. My aunt and uncle live in, or they lived in Charlotte for years. Yeah, so. Charlotte's, Charlotte's great, man. It's, I love that town. Yeah. It's just far enough for me to never go see music there. <laughs> <laughs> the tobacco fields are where it's at. Anyway. <laughs> uh, let's keep all that, all that, by the way. I like that. That was good. Beautiful. Um, anyways, uh, welcome to the podcast, bro. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. So for those who don't know, Pat or Mr. Rambler Kane, where did that name come from? Um, so it's not as cool of a story as I wish it was. Just but, make uh, one up, bro. Just make one up. Nah. <laughs> so I knew I wanted to use a stage name. Um, like we talked about before, I'm pretty shy, like introverted. So I knew I didn't want to use my real name. There's a lot of Pat Canes and Patrick Canes out there as well. So, um... I made a list of like maybe eight to 10 that I thought sounded kind of cool. And then I honestly just one night with a buddy, we just went through them and sort of read them aloud. And it was like, that's the one that sounded the best, fit the music the most, I guess. Nice, man. Um, and uh, what, like, how long have you been playing around Jacks for? So I've been playing guitar for a long time and writing for a long time. But as far as playing gigs, uh, I'd say my first gig was 
during the pandemic. So it was October of 2020. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. We talked about that at Kristen's thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that took me by surprise because you don't seem like somebody who's only been gigging for like two years, three years, I guess, two and a half years now. That's uh, what's been the process. Like, how have you had you like, you know, get started and why did you start doing it? Yeah, um, I, I it's something that I, I think I always knew in the back of my mind I wanted to do, you know. Um, I've always loved music. I've just been too scared to play in front of people, frankly. So, um is one of those things I was, I guess, 27 or 28. And I was like, I've never even, you know, I played some high school talent shows and stuff, but I never played a gig. I never did an open mic or anything. So I started going to the open mic at Rain Dogs uh, on Wednesdays that Charlie Shuck hosts. And um, I just met some amazing people, some encouraging people and, you know, kept writing. And I was like, man, this is so much fun. Uh, I think I want to start gigging. So just kind of started doing it and it's been just, I don't know, a lot of fun gone from there. Um, so I don't really have like a process. I kind of just started doing it. Yeah. Like I think my first gigs, I can all trace back honestly to the rain dogs open mic and people that I met there. Um, wow. you know, people inviting me to, to play with them or putting shows together and stuff like that. So it's sort of just, um, not snowballed, but it all started from going to open mics for sure. Um, can you describe that feeling for people that might not know? Because I know that I had a similar feeling before I started playing music, like, you know, for real. I'm curious if you had that same impulse where it's like you kind of like, you know, that, you know, you're talented on some level, right? Like you can write songs, you can play and you can do whatever. Um, and you know that you have like this desire to want to do it but you're not doing it for whatever reason. And then like this kind of void that you kind of always have, right? Like, like you don't, like you feel like you're just not fulfilling something you're supposed to. And then one day you kind of just start doing it. And then that void is filled. It obviously comes with other problems, right? But like, <laughs> but at least that's how it was for me. Do, do, do you have a similar like feeling? Yeah, I don't know so much. Um, like, frankly, I don't know about talent or anything like that, but I, I do feel like it's something like deeply personal for me as far as the writing and um yeah it's it was definitely a void like i knew you know i was working at a car dealership and i i, I liked parts of that job but I, you know i'm sitting there at the desk thinking like you know i like being creative and writing songs you know this isn't really fulfilling that desire i guess right uh, so it's also, it's almost like you feel like you're going through the motions of life and putting off your creativity for just, you know, working a traditional career path. Um, exactly. But eventually I just decided it wasn't for me and I, I had to play. So I'm glad I did. Uh, <laughs> I mean, totally, man. Me too. Honestly, like I was telling uh, my girlfriend Chelsea earlier, you're uh, one of my favorite songwriters in town. Oh, man. Thanks. Because, um, I, I mean, uh, whether or not you know it, you've got a great voice. You've got an interesting way that you play the guitar. But then furthermore, like you're just a phenomenal writer. I mean, oh, thanks. Yeah, man, <laughs> for sure. It. For sure. Thank you. Um, so how did you like, were you playing by yourself and like you had people tell you like you were like good, you should be doing it. Like, like what <laughs> it had to be something that like made you feel like Honestly, you could do it. Um, you know, going back to high school, I played with a couple of buddies, um, you know, growing up. I mean, I started playing when I was 12 or 13, you know, like I was sort of in like a garage band with one of my good friends and um, 
played with two other friends in high school, just sort of like we would write songs together and um, we didn't put on shows or anything, but we did talent shows and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I don't think it, like I said, I don't think it was like a talent thing or knowing that I'm good enough because I still don't <laughs> think I am or know that I am. It's more like I felt like I was putting off a part of myself, uh, like not pursuing something that I was, that meant so much to me. Like I spent so much time, you know, I'd get home from work and I'd start writing. Um, I'm like, this is, you know, eventually I just sort of was like, this is what I, I want to do. But the encouragement from people at open mics definitely helped. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Uh, when people that you respect, like other writers that you admire are like, Hey, I really like that song and it doesn't feel like they're just blowing smoke. Then it's like, okay, well maybe, maybe I do, uh, you know, have something to offer. So for sure, for sure. Yeah. As most musicians, I feel like won't blow smoke, like, especially, especially if they pick a song out, like, Hey man, that one song that you did was really good. Like, like what you did with this or that. Otherwise they just won't say anything at all. And that's like the worst feeling yeah. you get done at a jam or like at an open <laughs> mic or even like a gig and like the other band or musicians don't say anything. Not a good feeling. Yeah. <laughs> or like, Hey man, good set. Just that. It's like, fuck, bro. Right. That's, yeah, that's a, that's a career ender right there. Yeah, it's funny. Like, I, I'm really bad at taking compliments, but the same is probably true in the reverse. Like, you almost want, like, just one or two from people that you know already. Yeah. Just so you can be like, all right, I'm here and I'm okay. Because uh, it, it's, it's true in both extremes. Like, it's hard to take compliments, but it's also hard to just get, hear crickets. <laughs> so Totally, man. Um, totally. I mean, it's nice, even if it's hard to take a compliment, I feel like every musician goes through that phase where it's like people tell you that you're, you know, good or whatever, at, at, hopefully at a certain point, and like you're not used to that. So you get to the, so you, it like makes you, like you don't know how to handle it or like what to say. A lot of people's instinct, mine at first was for sure to be like, oh no, man, it wasn't, thanks, but no, no, no. You know what I mean? And then after yeah. a while, you kind of learn how to take them. But I think that as performers and as writers, I think that you need that because even if you can't handle it at first, you get used to taking the compliments and then it's what keeps you going. It's those little like, those little like bursts of fuel because like there's so much just like riding on empty in this, th in this thing, you know? Yeah. And when like just that one compliment from somebody uh, that, you know, you don't know or that you do know, doesn't matter. It's that one little compliment as awkward as it makes you feel at first. It's like, it's just, it's that fuel that gets you to the, to the next one. Yeah. You know? No, for sure. And I feel like, I don't know, at least in shows, it's not the same at like cover gigs necessarily, but like if you play a show, you can kind of feel it in the room, like when things go well versus yeah. when, when they don't go well. Uh, it, but particularly when, you know, sometimes you don't necessarily know because um, you're in your head during the song or whatever. And in those moments when you don't know and somebody that you respect and, you know, already know takes the time to, to compliment you, it can make a huge difference. It can turn your night around for sure. Yeah, man. Um, it makes you feel like, okay, well, you know, if they thought it was good, then hopefully it was good. <laughs> totally, yeah. That sort of feeling. Totally, so. man, you know. Mm -hmm. I've had friends of mine be like, hey, man, like just or send me a text. That's the best. If someone sends you a text after the fact, yeah. like, hey, man, what you did on that one tune tonight, that was cool. Like that happened to me like once, and I was like, holy fuck. I'm a <laughs> musician here in Jacksonville that I highly, highly respect. 
Right. And I was like, holy shit, man. Like, that literally made my, my, my night. Thank you so much for saying that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, isn't that funny? I feel like I totally agreed, but it's like our fellow musicians' feedback means so much, that much more almost. Um, I don't know why that is. I guess it's because we're all musicians. But like, if one of my close musician friends says something, it just, it sort of just means the world versus, you know, it's still nice to get any sort of feedback from anyone, but it truly makes a difference when it's somebody that you respect as a writer or performer, you know? Because you know they know, like, they're listening to it on a different level. You know what I mean? So it's like when, they, when they're yeah. telling you something, it's like they've, they, were, they were listening for the, for the mistakes. That's what musicians do. Like, when we listen, like I, at least I, I'll speak for myself. I do, for sure. If I'm, like, watching other bands play, of course, like, you enjoy it, but you're also, like, waiting for it to happen because you know it's going to happen. And when you catch it, like, it's almost like you want to see how they're going to play it off. You know what I mean? Yeah. And how they recover. And that, that's like a whole different thing. So, you know, when they're telling you, like they're giving you like a compliment or just, you know, whatever, you know, that's coming from a place that would like an analytical place as, as a musician, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That and, makes sense. And people who, at least that's why I think anyways, people who listen to music, they're like their supporters and their fans. That means the world too. Um, they're just listening at it from a different perspective. Yeah. I think, you know, no, absolutely. Yeah. It, it all means a lot. It's, yeah. It's almost like the ability though, to, uh, I don't know, psychologically like recover. Like if you think it didn't go well, if somebody from the audience that's never seen you before says good job, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, change your mindset as much as a musician saying like, Hey, I really liked that one part or whatever. So, totally, man. Yeah. They all mean a lot. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent, hundred percent. So, you're like I think like when I heard you play at Kristen's that night, you kind of like a folky country bluesy thing. Where would you say like your your background is and like where you draw inspiration when you're writing? Yeah, um, it's sort of all over the place, honestly. Like I listen to all sorts of different kind of music. Um, I guess. Uh, like as a kid, it was soul music. That's what my parents listened to. That's what I would sing in the backseat of the car and, um, you know, sort of old school love songs, Motown, stuff like that. But um, as far as like the style of music and what I am writing right now, um, yeah, it's a blend of like folk music, country music and the blues, I'd say. Um, so everything from, you know, some of those, East Texas guys from the seventies all the way to like Tyler Childers and, you know, sort of the roots revival or Americana scene that's going on right now. Um, yeah. a little bit of everything, honestly. Yeah, for sure, yeah. man. Um, and as far as like the, like this, like the subject matter, like, like to me, it seemed like you were like, you're pulling from a very, very vulnerable place when you're writing, like everything seemed very honest and like you were, and like really like you were feeling everything. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, like what are you thinking about when you're like, you know, just broadly, like like where are you pulling inspiration from in that respect? Sure. Um, so it's funny, I kind of write, uh, I don't know, every song's different obviously, but you know, most of the time I write with a guitar. So a lot of times I'll come up with the guitar part first um, and then I'll start um, writing, but it's it's always, for me, it's always personal. You know, I try to write story songs sometimes, but I feel like they're not as, <laughs> they don't 
I don't wouldn't say uh, whether they're good or bad, but they just don't move the needle for me, um, even when I'm singing them, you know. Um, so I try to find that place that that moves the needle for me emotionally, because then if if I feel emotional about it when I'm performing it, then maybe you know the audience can feel that. Hopefully, um, that's the goal anyway for me. Is um, that's my favorite part about playing. I, I I could never record again. I just love playing live. Um, I think that sort of up close and personal uh, human interaction is is the magic stuff um, that I want more and more of. You know. Um, so when I'm writing, it, it's basically to try to make myself not give yourself the chills, but a similar concept of like if I'm moved emotionally, then I'm on the right track. And if I'm not, then I sort of start over. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Definitely comes across when, when I'm watching you play. Like it's, you're definitely feeling like whatever it is that you're singing, you know what I mean? And it, and it really, it does really translate. I think it's important. Thanks, man. You know, it's like when you're writing about stuff, there's different ways you can do it. There's a lot of different, you know, you can write about other people's scenarios, your own scenarios, you can do storytelling. There's just endless possibilities, right? Yeah. Um, are you typically drawn to people that are writing more about personal things or seemingly personal things rather than stories? I think so. I, yeah. like, um, I like a lot of old school um, country songs that are story songs. But as far as like now or like people that I like to go see live, um, it's definitely, I lean more towards the personal, um, the vulnerability, uh, not just in the song, but also on stage. You know, I feel like you can kind of feel it when somebody's singing a song that somebody else wrote versus somebody singing like a deeply personal song that they just wrote recently. Yeah, totally. Um, so I lean towards more, or lean more towards the latter, I'd say. Okay. And uh, how uh, particular are you about uh, your lyrics when you're writing them? Because for me, that's a fucking dreadful process. <laughs> so it's funny. I um, I don't get particularly particular. Like I, you know, I um, it's hard to describe. I sort of just write. Like I'm not typically using a pen and paper. I do sometimes, and there's been a handful of songs lately where I actually. I wrote the lyrics first without guitar just to see how that went for yeah, me, wow. which I felt like it went went well. I like I enjoyed doing that versus writing with the guitar first. But I'm not one of those people that like edits and re-edits and is worried about punctuation or phrasing necessarily. Mm -hmm. It's more about for me uh, conveying the emotion. So some some of my lines don't make any sense, but. <laughs> If they if they hit with impact, then it doesn't really matter if it makes grammatical sense or um, logical sense. Even if if you can feel it, then that's what's most important to me. A hundred percent. I mean, like if you listen to the Beatles, that's like their whole thing, right? Especially some of like the. Are you, are you a fan of the Beatles at all? So I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this. It's not that I'm not a fan. Yeah, I'm just one of those people. I know like the hit songs and I like them. But I never did a deep dive on the Beatles. I didn't grow up listening to them, gotcha. so it's just not one of my one of my bands that I know a lot about. But, gotcha. Yeah. Well, if you listen, to, I mean, you can like pick, like even if you listen to like Magical Mystery Tour or just like the song or um, I Am the Walrus, anything in that era from the Beatles, you listen to it, and you're like, these words make no sense, <laughs> and then. 
they're my favorite band of all time. Right? And okay. I grew up listening to them. I got, you know, really deep into all that stuff. And like in my early 20s, I was, I was talking about it one time. And I was like, I'm trying to decipher what it is they're talking about because there has to be a meaning here. And then one of my managers, when I used to work at Sam Ash, he told me, he was like, sometimes it's just about the poetry of words. It's not necessarily about the meaning that they're conveying or whatever. It's just like, it's the way that they flow and they sound and it's conveying something. It doesn't have to make sense to you or whatever. It's what, like whatever it's emoting out of you, Yeah, you know? And uh, that to me was very interesting because I, I never thought about, you know, putting words together in, in a way or just, just randomly jumbling words that are just like seemingly don't make any sense, but they, it works. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I think uh, I definitely don't write on that level. Like my, my lyrics, you know, I hope I didn't misspeak, but like they generally make sense. But I just mean more on the lines of like if I feel like a line feels good and sounds good, I'm not going to revisit it to to try to perfect the um the phrasing or anything like that gotcha but i know uh like bob dylan did some of that uh especially early on where it was just like everybody's trying to figure out what he's saying and it's more about the sound and and the emotion like the way he delivers it right uh, it doesn't have to make sense if it sounds awesome <laughs> right so, right um but yeah i've never been able to get into that headspace totally because i like i um i pay very close attention to the lyrics I'm listening to them or when I'm writing them. Because like for me, hip hop was like a huge thing mm -hmm. uh, in my high school and into my early twenties and stuff. And that's like all about, as far as I'm concerned, it's like all about the lyrics. Yeah. So when I started writing like for real, I was think, thinking about that and like, you know, the syllables and how you, you know, make everything work. And then I'm curious about this with you because I don't, I can't move on with, with arranging a song if I don't have the lyrics set or at least the melody set for that section, right? So it's like I'll I'll come up with an idea and I just start humming a melody and put words to it. And then once I have that section, I can move on to a chorus or another verse or whatever. If I don't get the words, I'm stuck. And I can't move on. I have a very similar experience. I, I can't say that it's for like every single song I've ever written for yeah. sure. But uh, yeah, I like to, I'm often melody first, the vocal melody first, mm -hmm. and then... Um, yeah, I try to finish. I try to finish a verse before I decide what the chorus will sound like, because to me, the ending of the verse is, you know, it's setting up the chorus. So totally, I'd like to know what I just said. You know, that might inform the the chord change potentially. For sure. Um, if it's a happy song or a sad song, you know. So For sure. I uh, yeah, I generally do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, and in that scenario, that's when I get picky about the words because I'll often just like put filler words in there just say okay i'm not going to get this right now but i need something yeah. so i can just move on to the next part otherwise i'm not going to finish this yeah and then I, then I go back and i'm like okay let's rewrite some stuff and then like i start and i i like to write you know by hand it just helps me memorize this stuff better mm -hmm. scratching shit out and then you know i'll play it live a couple times how does this feel how's it fitting if it doesn't work then i go back and like change more shit yeah i get so hung up on on like little things with lyrics man it drives me crazy okay yeah but like it's, the, I do different music than, than you do as well. So it's like I feel like in more of the folk and like country side of things, like almost like a you want almost more of like a like a spoken, like you know, like you're having a conversation with somebody. Yeah, I was right? gonna say. So like a lot of my songs, it's almost conversational. Like I can, I can kind of make things fit easier in like 
within that genre. Like particularly the the finger picking stuff. Like if I'm capoed up and finger picking, um, the chord changes are simple. I mean, they're cowboy chords for the most part. So you can kind of condense phrases or you know go shorthand on like your pronunciation of something. Right. Like it's a lot easier to f- make the lyrics fit the song that you want it to be versus you know like if you're playing rock or whatever where it's got a i guess the timing is it's just a different type of uh fitting the words in you know what i mean yeah because um, it seems like in those scenarios um especially like in pop and and more produced stuff like that where it's there's like all this you know arranging and stuff that's happening as well and there's a, a lot happening so like the lyrics aren't necessarily the focal point of everything. I mean, they should be good and they should make sense and they should like have a meaning to them. Right. But there's all this other stuff. So like you want to give yourself space so that the other things can kind of shine. Yeah. But a lot of the singer songwriter stuff, it's like, this is about the lyrics. Listen to what's being said here. And uh, yeah, I feel like maybe in that scenario, there's a little bit more leeway. Yeah, for sure. And one thing I do, so I, I don't like go back and edit lyrics too often. Like I try to finish the song Whenever I start writing a song, I try to finish it in that sitting if I can. It doesn't always happen that way. I mean, I have, I have a lot of unfinished songs, too. Yeah, totally, yeah. But, uh, like, the ones that that feel particularly good, I try to finish it, you know, right then and there. But I will go back and edit lyrics a lot of times to, like, make sure that from verse one to verse two or from the chorus into the verse that, like, the ideas are connected, if that makes sense, so that, like, if I'm using a particular phrase, like I'll try to make sure that there's a callback or that, you know, verse three is connected to verse one somehow. So like if I can just change one word and it can link verse one with verse three, three, then I do that. Totally. Um, So that's something that I do do as far as like going back and sort of not redoing lyrics, but editing, I guess. Yeah. No, I love that kind of stuff. The callbacks are like, you know, that that's very that's a very storytelling approach. Yeah, right. I feel like it, it's, it'll it helps tie up loose ends because uh, especially even if it's not a story song, it makes it feel like a story song because you know you're recalling an emotion that you described in the first verse or whatever. Exactly. So. Exactly. Sorry. No. Yeah, I'm gonna take some water. Um. All right. So we were talking a little bit before. Uh, we got started about just the um, kind of route that you've been taking as you've gotten started. You've only been playing for, or only been playing professionally now for like two and a half years, right? Professional is a strong word. Yeah, while well, you're getting paid, right? Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then that's professional as far I as suppose, I'm concerned. You yeah. know? Um, so you're doing at the moment like some showcase stuff, opening up for you know bigger touring artists, and then a lot of like the local bar gig stuff to kind of make some money. So right. is that basically what you want to be doing or like where, like what do you want to happen? It's yeah. <laughs> a great question. Yeah. Um, I can't answer it myself. So Good yeah, <laughs> I've gone back and forth. Part of me was, uh, I, I definitely want to, I want to eventually tour and, and play live as often as possible. I think, um, I figured out by now, by far my favorite part of music, like we were talking earlier, is is an up close and personal live performance. Whether that's a a house show or a listening room, um, like those environments, I feel like are 
not only my favorite as a performer, but my favorite as a listener too. Like, that's just what I love the most about music is a songwriter just basically putting their heart like right in front of you in the room. Um, so that's what I want to do, but I know that it takes a lot of time and effort and energy and patience to get there. So, uh, in the meantime, I'm just taking gigs as they come and trying to get my name out there. And, um, you know, I've been playing a lot locally in Jacksonville. So I think this summer, my goal is to start doing some small little road trips, um, you know, whether it's Savannah or Brunswick or Gainesville or um, I want to play in St. Augustine a little bit more than I have. So just sort of slowly uh, starting to take it on the road a little bit, like on the weekends. For sure. Uh, for sure, man. So. I think that that's like very good awareness on like what I would consider to be like the smart way of doing it. Because a lot of people, myself included, get way ahead of themselves and start to do things before like you're ready to well believe me I, I did get way ahead of myself so my plan was like i'm just gonna buy a van and leave town and you know busk my way and um i i part of me is still considering that but i do like the idea of at least having some type of anchor dates or you know some actually like you know paid gigs right before i decided to just drive out of town <laughs> so right. um we'll see how it goes you know i've had some good uh opportunities lately and hopefully this year we'll just see you know see what happens this summer as far as uh my ability to book out of town you know i don't have an agent or anything like that so it's all about the response rate really like you know if you send out a canvas email how many people actually come back to you it's a so. volume game man yeah. you know he's gotta like <laughs> send out a hundred and hope five of them get back to you <laughs> right. you know it's just right. it's, yeah that grind sucks yeah but it's it's good because like you know, you, we were talking about earlier when you were talking about doing some of the open mic stuff and then, you know, some of the showcases and talking about kind of doing the bar the bar gig thing, but also like wanting to open up for people to get like an actual in front of an actual audience and build your own base before you put together your own headlining show, mm -hmm. which is a really smart uh, and mature way to think about things, you know, because like people often try and put together their own headlining shows and like you're not ready to do that yet yeah so like you're not selling tickets nobody's making money i've tried and and you know i just it's just the reality of where i'm at you know i've i've been at it two years i've got to be honest with myself i i don't have much of a following i've got some amazing friends and family and um i've got some people that have like discovered my music locally and that come out to shows sometimes but it's not like i'm the guy that can you know, sell out a show or, or, or bring a huge audience necessarily. So for me, like if I have the opportunity to open for somebody that already has an audience, you know, I'd kind of be an idiot not to want those opportunities. And I think for where I'm at too, as a performer and musically, it's almost like an ideal setup where you get 35 minutes and the audience is there to see the other guy. So it gives like being an opener is awesome. <laughs> I, I that's one of my favorite ways to play is to open up for people, and I get to meet cool people too. So yeah, there's like very um, little pressure to like you know to make sure the show goes well and all that stuff. I mean, you want to like it, just as far as like ticket sales and stuff go. You know yeah, I mean? I mean, I still push. You know, especially getting opportunities at the venues that I've you know really wanted to play at for a long time um, to finally get those opportunities, and then 
you know, I've sent out my email list. I'm texting people and calling people and, and then people showed. So I'm like, okay, this is how I need to do it. If I'm a headliner, you know, to actually get people out. So totally. Um, it's been a good learning experience too, being an opener. So, yeah, man. And it's like, also if you, if people try to just as a cautionary tale to musicians that are trying to like do this for themselves, you know, it's like, you know, I made the mistake for a long time of trying to do all these headlining shows and like way before I was ready and you end up, like kind of ruining your reputation with the venues that you're working with because when it comes time to like actually do a real thing um they look back at the record and they're like yeah man you've never made us any money <laughs> like ever <laughs> and uh first off we're not gonna give you this show or if we do we're gonna put you as like you know give you like a third or fourth hold on the date until we know for sure that nobody else is gonna take it uh and then furthermore we're not gonna give you an opening slot because we know that you're not going to sell any tickets for the for the headliner right you know because like we've had opportunities come through where like you know the manager of the headlining act will reach out to me and be like hey man um yeah cool what like when was the last time you played in town and what were your numbers and it's like <laughs> well three months ago was our last ticket ticketed event and we you know did so and so you got to kind of you know fluff those numbers a little bit sometimes <laughs> right and it's just like unless you're doing like you know 50 to 100 tickets as an opener for the headliner, they don't really want to work with you, mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, you gotta, I think what you're doing is very smart. And, you know, I, I'm sure you've um, got it, gotten ahead of yourself at times, but to be two and a half years into it and like, and realizing that and just pulling back the reins and like, you know, playing it smart now is really much better than a lot of people do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I have the benefit too of like, you know, I jumped into it when COVID was happening. So my first gig is October of 2020. People were so nice and like giving me opportunities, um, not only through the open mic, but as I started to meet people, right? Like at Jackrabbits or wherever. And I've just gotten to play some cool shows and sort of learn from all the musicians that it's like, they're just sharing wisdom that they've learned over however many years they've been doing it. And I'm just, a sponge so i'm totally. just soaking it all up and i have the benefit of knowing some really cool musicians that have been at it for a long time or meeting musicians who are coming through town and they can you know give me their two cents and um it's definitely not me being smart it's me just like getting lucky with who i've met and you know the advice that they've given me um because i i just know i'm not ready to be that headliner guy you know like i don't have a big enough audience or following that's just the reality of it right um, i'd like to one day but you know it might take several more years before i'm able to do those kind of shows where you know i'm the headliner and i can you know not sell out but you know get enough people there where they make make good money you know for sure man for <laughs> uh, sure. that's my goal money too, that's my know? goal too is like i want the venue to be happy i don't want to you know put together a show and five people show up because i've had that happen yeah on more than one occasion it's it, a bad feeling <laughs> yeah. yeah so um i sort of know where i'm at uh and it's not me being smart it's just you know i've like i said i've met a lot of really smart people and they've uh helped me see like it's just time and patience really yeah pa or patience and persistence for um, sure and so. also you know putting it's be, being consistently good do you know what I mean? Like yeah, that, showing up and helps. writing good songs and putting on a good performance and something that people want to come back and see. Because at the end of the day, it's like nothing else happens if you're not if you're not like you know genuinely 
putting out good material. Right. You know? um, so, yeah, man. I, th- I think it'll happen for you sooner than it will later. Oh, Spe- thanks. You know? I mean, like, nobody else that I know has, like, your style here in this town and or at least at the level that I think that you're doing it at within that genre. So I think that you got a lot going for you for sure, man. Well, you're very kind. Thank you. Um, I think that's, it's funny too. Cause I've, uh, I think that's part of why I've gotten so lucky is just by virtue of the fact that for whatever reason in, in Jacksonville, and there are other artists who do amazing work, but sure. yeah, totally. There's just not a lot of that solo acoustic singer songwriter in the country folk genre who are pursuing you know, ticketed shows. There just really aren't that many. So I get, you know, probably more opportunities than I deserve. So um, I'm going to keep reaping the benefits until <laughs> somebody else much better comes along, uh, which they're already out there. But, you know, some, some of those guys don't want to don't wanna do shows that often. They just kind of like to write or they'll sell songs to Nashville or whatever it is. So right. um, I feel lucky in that regard that Rather than being good, you just be the only one that's doing it. That are doing, you're doing what you're what you're trying to do. So, yeah, know. no, you're but yeah, but you're also good. So, that's, well, so you got that going you're for very you. Very kind. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, man, uh, do you have any desire to play with the band or anything like that? It's funny you should mention that. So, um, I think I don't know uh, what the future holds, but I do know. Um, I've recently started having talks with like some of my closest friends that are also musicians about sort of putting something together and we don't really know what it looks like yet. Um, whether that's like a, a new project that we write together and record together and do all that, or if it's more like we collaborate on a monthly show or, uh, a show a few times a year, but we're still exploring that and, we want to come up with something that everybody feels good about, but we're excited about it. So awesome. I'm going to be playing with other musicians. I just don't know what it looks like yet. Cool, man. Um, but yeah, that's something I realized recently is how lonely it can get sometimes doing the solo stuff. Like I love the challenge of it, but playing with other people is amazing. You know, <laughs> it's so much fun and like the connection that you can make, especially when you're live in front of people. Um, it's special. It's, it's completely different than playing by yourself. Yeah, totally. I, I, if I'm doing like a showcase gig or something, I definitely don't mind doing it by myself, but especially like those bar gigs, like the three, four hour gigs by yourself. Yeah. Oh my God, man. Those, <laughs> it's the breaks. It's my life right now. <laughs> yeah. It's, I get um, it. Yeah. And I, sometimes I'll, I'll say, I do have uh, a good pal, Skeeter, who's uh, been playing harmonica with me lately and he's been awesome and he's really, really talented. Um, but you know, he can't make every single gig and he's got other projects going on too. So a lot of times I am by myself. I rarely do four hours now. Most of the time it's either two or three. Yeah. Thank God. Yeah. It's four hours is brutal. It's the worst, man. <laughs> Sometimes they pay, like I, I'm, I definitely charge more for the four hour ones. So it's like, if it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, it's four hours and all right, well, this is my rate or we're not going to do it. Yeah. I'll do. I'll give you three, or I just won't book that night. You know, it seems worth it. But then you, yeah, when you come back from that last break and you're starting that last set, it's like, whew, I'm not only tired, but my voice is tired, and yeah, you know, I'm ready to go home. <laughs> yeah, I just don't get what the venue is expecting out of that last set. Yeah, it's like let me start an hour later, <laughs> right? Or like end an hour earlier. I, I know that a lot, a lot of the four hour ones are like you know the. 10 to 2. Or, yeah, 10 yeah. to 2 or like 9.30 to 1.30 type thing. So you want you want to 
keep it going till you close. And I understand that. Mm-hmm. But like, at, then let me just, I don't need to be there for that first hour. Then I can come in <laughs> for that for like, you know, the, the second hour or whatever. It's like, yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's weird, man. Uh, it's, it's, it's a, it really like pushes you. No, you I know? agree. And, um, I've kind of stopped, not stopped, but I've sort of shifted my like focus on booking those bar gigs. I've shifted earlier and earlier because I realize that I en- I enjoy that more, and it's also, you know, I, I just don't I don't want to be out till two thirty in the morning every every time. Yeah. So, like some of my gigs are five to seven, like uh, you know, sort of happy hour type gig. I play Mondays at Casbah. That's eight to ten, um, and it's a lot of fun. But you know, I don't have I I don't have to play till two a.m. every night, which is which is nice. Um, I know I'll need to sometimes, especially on the road and stuff, if I ever get there. But for now, it's like you know, <laughs> I don't want to be out that late every night or, well, or every even every weekend. I don't, I don't want to do that every single time. No, for sure, man, for sure. I mean, and like you're you're not drinking anymore, right? Right. So it's like that that makes the late night ones even harder because you got to deal with those people that are just out getting hammered yeah that's true and you're not on that level anymore and you're just like this is really brutal yeah no that's a good point i didn't think about that yet um but i haven't had as many yeah i haven't had as many of those situations arise lately but i've been playing like i'm playing at harps on friday it's five to seven and you know it's not a rowdy environment it's a lot of families a lot of kids and you know those gigs are fun um so I don't need to be at you know whatever bar until two in order to have a good time. Yeah, which, for which sure. Is good. So oh, I need to get I need to get you I need to get some contacts from you after this because okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah the five to seven gig on a weekend sounds amazing. Yeah, it's good. It's normally at six to eight, but this week you know with it's getting darker earlier and it's been kind of cool, so we're doing it an hour earlier. But six to eight also works. Oh, I'll six to eight's also no good. problem. Yeah, I can go catch a friend play afterwards. I can just come home and exactly watch TV. Yeah, <laughs> um, my pal Robbie Dammit, he plays at Bay Street Bar and Grill. Usually, it usually falls on the same Friday, the third Friday of the month. He's at he's at Bay Street every third Friday of the month. My harps gig is usually every third Friday, so I'll like I'll try and wrap up and then I can go catch Robbie's set. You know, oh, downtown yeah. afterwards because he starts at nine. That's so. right over by like nineteen oh four and all that Calford Chop House and all yeah, that. yeah. Uh, we've both been playing there for a while now. Um, I play first Fridays and he plays third Fridays. It's been a fun one. Nice man. Yeah, the people in there are cool and it's been growing. Sometimes it's a little, a little slower, but it just depends on who decides to show. You know. Yeah, for sure. What's that fucking? What's that one dude, Chris? It's always starting shit. On the block over there, oh. that one homeless guy. Yeah, I'm not uh. naming names. Uh. No, I don't. I don't. I don't. Want, I'm just like it's just that. Just because I, I know he had like a problem at at Bay Street one time. It mm. just like yeah, it just like popped in my head for some reason. That one's drawing a blank. I, uh, I I I don't I don't think the name that's coming to mind. I don't think is the name that it is. So. Mm. He's like yeah, some homeless dude. He's gotten into fights over there on that strip uh. with all those guys. You ever encountered the guy that I'm talking about? It's possible. Yeah. I've had some encounters. Um, not, I mean, nothing dangerous or anything, but, you know, going to my car or carrying gear out or whatever. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of that down on Bay Street. Um, it's not as bad right in that area, though. Like, that sort of strip, starting with Bay Street and then around the corner to Florida Theater on the other side. Yeah. Like, as you pass 1904 and Ocean, is it Ocean Street Tacos? Yeah. Or, yeah. Like that whole little corner is pretty, 
happening so it's there's not as much of an issue anymore right right um yeah and also like the security at 1904 and underbelly like do a really good job of like keeping those blocks like <laughs> you know as safe as they can yeah, yeah. i wouldn't want to walk too much further down bay street like back towards the stadium right yeah you yeah. know because there's really not that much there's nothing there past there yeah yeah so uh i try to stay close <laughs> yeah for sure but downtown's weird Jackson downtown Jacksonville is like an anomaly. Like most cities, like like the bustling area is the downtown area. Like Jacksonville is not like that at all. You have like one little strip there, and like it really depends on what's happening. Otherwise, it can just be dead. You yeah. know, on a weekend. Um, and then like Riverside, obviously, right here, is like popping all the time on the weekends. Like Avondale is good. San Marcos got its own little thing. The beaches, obviously, are the beaches. And like, yeah, yeah, so it's just weird, you know? Yeah, it's so spread out and everybody kind of has their own neighborhood that they support as far as like retail and restaurants and where they go spend their money and spend their time. Yeah. But and Murray Hill too, man. Murray Hill's <laughs> popping off. Yeah, it's busy. I, yeah, I love yeah, that area, man. It's awesome. You catch like really like uh, like like the whole jazz scene, like, you know, Stefan and, and John Ward and all those guys have like you know they play over what's that spot called um, buckner's buckner's yeah, uh, yeah. On like on wednesdays yeah they do like the jazz nights there and like you catch some like amazing jazz on wednesday nights there yeah stout snug just doing like the like the, the open mic now with the songwriter showcases playing there tomorrow oh yeah i yeah. did see that yeah that's right yeah i'm excited but yeah, yeah the, there's a lot going on uh that whole area it's it's cool and that place is cool too like both stout snug and uh is it Buckner's or Buchner's? I never know. I think, um, think Buckner's. I've heard of Buckner's. I've but heard I don't both. Know. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but I've played there with Jesse Montoya once before. Oh, and yeah. And uh, we're doing another one next month. But it's a good environment there. I like it there. I love it there, man. Yeah. Uh, like one of the few places where I'll go on a night off and just go chill. You know what I mean? Yeah. That back like beer garden thing is super nice. Yeah. And it's low key. It's not like, you know. Yeah, it's just it's chill. I like it. Mm -hmm. I like it. I, I like the neighborhood. I like the vibe, like the, the crowd of people that hangs out there. It's like young and progressive, and like it's just it's a good vibe. I feel like you know. Yeah, I dig it. Junko Royals. Yeah, they play there sometimes as well. Yep. Um, but yeah, that's a good spot. All right, guys, this episode's brought to you by Best Buds CBD Store. If you're like me, maybe THC isn't always the right high for you, or maybe the legal status of THC has you a bit hesitant to indulge. So at Best Buds CBD store, they have an array of CBD and Delta 8 THC products. These guys truly care about their service, so everything is meticulously sourced and prepared to deliver a top-notch product and experience. If you head to their website, you'll find all kinds of educational information regarding Delta THC and CBD, uh, not to mention if you use promo code BOTBPOD, that's B-O-T-B-POD, you'll save 10% on your order. This is not a one-time deal. If you use promo code BOTBPOD, every time you place an order with Best Buds, uh, it will give you 10% off. That's in perpetuity forever. So head over to bestbudscbdstore.com and start saving on all of your CBD and Delta A products. Enjoy, guys. So are, are you recording at all? So I have, uh, I put out a, a single on... December 30th, and then I just put one out um, last Friday. And then I've got two more coming down soon, hopefully. Um, and then 
I have plans to record again this summer. So I'm thinking like May or June. I'm still figuring out like what I want the project to be, um, like which songs, what order, and how I want them to sound. But I was thinking about doing a single live take for the songs and then also doing like a live recording with an audience, you know, and maybe other musicians on it, but like the same track order. So okay. sort of doing like a, you know, playing by yourself <laughs> in the garage and then playing with friends in front of people. I dig that, man. But like the same songs. Hell yeah. Uh, that's kind of what I'm thinking, but I still need to talk to some people to figure out the logistics of all that. I've never recorded a live album or anything like that. So, uh, but that's kind of the idea in my head is not a double album, but a, you know, two sided of the same album. Hell yeah. That's a great idea. I love that. Thanks, man. Yeah. yeah. It's a whole different experience when you're doing it live versus studio. Yeah. You know, I am a big fan of the studio experience. I am somebody like, I mean, it's like the ultimate sandbox for musicians. Like there's everything at your disposal. You can like try anything. And then like the end result, I mean, like sometimes it can be a grueling process, but the end result to me is like very gratifying. Yeah. And that's like its own thing. And then like the live performance aspect has its, uh, obviously has its perks as well. But man, there's something about like finishing a product in the studio. It's like, that's, that's forever, man. Like that yeah. doesn't go away. That's you. That you part know? is very cool. Um, I, like we talked about it earlier a little bit, but I definitely like live more, but it is really satisfying. I think my favorite part of the studio is like, cause I worked with uh, Micah Gilliam. Do you know him? Oh yeah. Uh, he's one of the best musicians he's I know. Yeah. yeah. He's incredible. Uh, Robbie Dammit introduced me to him and like, I've recorded everything. Well, I don't have a ton of songs, but all the releases I have, he's the one that did them. Okay. And, uh, that was my favorite part of it was just like how much fun we had. Like, oh, let's see what this sounds like, that sort of thing. And then uh, when you start to hear the song come together, and as a solo acoustic guy, like you can't imagine it with certain instruments, but then like you start to hear it sort of come together on the recording that part's really exciting yeah when you're like oh this sounds awesome <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> like you get pumped about it so. yeah those are the, those are the moments in the studio that i live for like when so this is let's just see what it sounds like yeah and you try it out and you're like holy <laughs> shit i had no idea that i was gonna do that yeah. you get down to the mixing part of it where it's like all right now that sounds cool but like now let's move it over to this side and let's get <laughs> put it up here versus all that, I, I get obsessive with that kind of shit. I love it so much. I want to learn a, a lot more about that. I've never done much of it. Um, I am, you can ask Chris, I don't know shit about the Dawes. He's confirming. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, I hate pushing the buttons. Not going to do it. Yeah. However, I know what I want to hear, and I'll sit there with you, and I'll tell you, like, hey, man, move this over here, move this over there. I know what's possible, and I know what I want to hear. Yeah. You know, so, like, that part, you know, that's like the producer side. That's like very, very like fun to mm -hmm. me, you know. And to your credit, you're pretty good at describing it. Like I've I've worked with people that are very kind of ambiguous about trying to get their ideas across to an engineer. But 
for someone that doesn't push buttons, you've got a pretty damn good grasp on <laughs> how to how to convey that across. So. Yeah, I, I mean, I've been That's doing studio work for like 15 years. So <laughs> at this point, I've just it, my my inability to push buttons is a willful ignorance <laughs> for sure. That's a skill in its own right, though. Like not the not the ignorance part, but the yeah, <laughs> no, that's a skill too. Trust me, I work very hard at it. <laughs> but the ability to describe things, I think I'm horrible at it. Uh, maybe I could ask Micah after this, but. I think I'm really bad at describing when I don't like something or what I want more of or whatever. Right. That's the beauty of working with someone like Micah, exactly. who's so talented that I didn't have to tell him anything. <laughs> it's just like, he's like, hey, let's, I think it it sound cool with this. Let's try this. And I'm like, you were exactly right. It's, it does sound cool. Yeah. I mean, there was some feedback and stuff, but it was never like, I was never like, oh, this guy's leading me in a bad direction or anything. No, he's know? he's an artist, man. Yeah. That guy, like, he's a true, true artist. Um, I don't know him very well personally, um, but I've seen uh, that. What was that band that he was in? The Young Step. Young Step. Yeah, I yeah. saw them play once, and I've seen him like play just you know online stuff or whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, he's he's a special musician. You know what for I mean? Sure. And uh, yeah, so like for. He'd be a really good guy when you're in that scenario with him to, to like just sit and watch what he's doing. And like even if you're not interested in being the engineer, which is the part that I hate doing, it's like you can be like, hey man, I just I know that, that part's still there, but it sounds different now. Why does it sound different? Mm -hmm. And then he'll tell you, Well, I moved it over here, I lowered it, you know, here, whatever. And then you're like, okay, so that's what that is. That's what's happening here. And then over time, you're just like you can sit there and work with an engineer. And be like, hey man, can you pan this to the left? Or can you pan this to the right? Or can you, you know, move this more back in, in, in the mix or move it up front? Or like you just know how to like, you know, right. talk about those things, you know? Yeah, because I think that is important. Like from just talking to buddies who've done some of the production stuff is like being able to communicate, like speak the language. I guess uh, is it can be important. Like right. it can make all the difference. Otherwise, you <laughs> you might start going back and forth. Like I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. So I've had yeah when I, like early on when I was working in studios, I've like pissed off a lot of engineers. Just be like, I don't know, man. It just doesn't sound right to me. <laughs> yeah, I just want it to sound like like that song. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So For I sure. get it. Yeah. Are you a fan of dog parks? Well, how about drinking? Because at Canine Social, you can quite literally do both. Located in Jacksonville's Riverside neighborhood, Canine Social offers both indoor and outdoor dog parks with plenty of space for your fur babies to socialize and exercise. Canine Social also has a wide array of local and regionally brewed craft beers on tap, as well as kombucha, nitro coffee, and wine if beer just isn't your thing, like me. Uh, they also offer unparalleled dog training programs with the best in-class trainers of Jet Set University and luxury boarding services as well. Be sure to head to their website at caninesocial.com to find out all the info you need to be sure you and your pup have the best experience available at Canine Social. Chris, uh, let's do some bottom line news. All right. I saw one that I thought was relatively interesting, um, but, you know, good track record here, so let's go. <laughs> All right. Um, my song was added to a botted Spotify playlist. Uh, here's what happened. I thought that's interesting. Okay. You know, something that might you know might happen to us up and coming folks. And uh, what does that look like to us? So let's see. Gets added in. Bot playlist is just a algor algorithmic uh, kind of pick similar songs. I guess off of different parameters. Do 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 do. 
Why is it bad? So it can ruin your data, give you mm-hmm. a false sense of success, right. and it's fraud. Well, go, right. go, go back up real quick to just yeah. like what the botted playlist is because it's different than, than a Spotify curated playlist. Uh, so what is a botted playlist? Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so uh, a bot is a software program that someone created to stream a playlist. These bots are programmed to control individual Spotify accounts to play the same songs or playlists. Oh, oh! I so I miss I misunderstood this. I thought it was like an algorithmic making of the playlist. Nope, it sure isn't. I know people that do this, and they make fat checks from Spotify. <laughs> fat <laughs> checks or checks? No, no, fat. I mean, like they're paying their rent off that shit. Dang. I know how. Yeah, it's a little sketch, honestly. Okay. And it definitely, yeah. Uh, you get a false sense of success because those numbers aren't real. Right. They're not going to translate the ticket sales at all. Uh, botting is fraud. Obviously, you're defrauding the company, and so it's becoming a real problem now. Yeah, of course they're going to catch on to this. Are you familiar with this? Not really, but uh, it definitely sounds like something that they'll be able to catch on to because yeah. they can just look at the data and see, you know, like when something's out of whack, they'll <laughs> be able to crack down on the users and be able to tell that they're fake. Right. And then they might go after you financially if you've been participating in these schemes. Uh, that's crazy, though. So here's what seems interesting is I think both of you, we're, we're referencing like people doing this intentionally to make checks. Yeah. This is this article is talking about like it, your song got added to that playlist and you didn't do it. And now your stuff's getting tanked and you're not even, right. like, you're probably seeing the royalties, but uh, you didn't go out there trying to do it. So like, see, yeah. it's like a, it's a how to get off this shit kind of thing. Um, you know, um, and there's there's a list down here of um, you you think you're blowing up, you're getting streams, and then you're you you get kicked off. Oh, really, that's oh and then it's wild. it's a phishing scam. So then pay us to get put back on. Right, that's Jeez, wild. This is, this is and this is all AI that's doing this. Do you this have is to brutal? If somebody is adding you to a curated playlist, like, do you have to agree to be on there? Or they no, can, they can just add you. Yeah, they just add you. You like, probably want that to happen to yeah. if it's a legit <laughs> right. playlist. But yeah, like if it's Spotify curated if, or something, that's that's like one of the best things that can happen to you on the platform. Yeah, right. But I just wonder these like, I don't know if the playlist itself is botted. How do they get? Are, are all the subscribers or followers of the playlist bots? Is that what they mean? Yeah, bots or there's also... That's bizarre. I'm not going to go into too much detail on it because <laughs> I know people that are doing this and I can't, uh, you know, it's a little close to home. However, people will create like multiple accounts on Spotify and then like have those accounts be streaming repeatedly, uh, you know, uh, just forever. <laughs> And then you have all these like boosted streams and it's like, okay, well now you're seeing every quarter you're seeing a a few thousand dollars coming in from Spotify and it's like, it's not real. So that's one aspect. That's one way to like, you know, to leverage the botted playlist, I would imagine. Um, And that's why I'm talking about something totally different. It doesn't sound like it. I would imagine that you can at least leverage a botted playlist by doing what I just said. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's wild. And I can definitely... I'd want to get off of there. I mean... I can't imagine it being, I guess it depends on how many streams you're getting off of that botted playlist, but I can't even imagine it being that lucrative if you're like an up, like sort of an indie artist and you randomly get put on one. I don't know. I, I don't think it would be worth it to stay on there. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'd rather just not avoid the trouble of like, I mean, you might get, end up getting banned from Spotify altogether if, <clears throat> if they 
if they keep you on there. Yeah, I'm wondering. I'm if curious. If they determine that your activity was fraudulent, even if it wasn't, like, yeah, you I'm might curious be from the platform. I'm curious about that. I wonder if they do. If Spotify would actually ban you as an artist fr from their platform if you get like on multiple of those playlists. Yeah, and it's like, hey man, uh, <laughs> how are you on multiple of these you have, uh, playlists? You, you have know, zero fans, and all these bots love you. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah crazy. So right here it says. Uh, that one of the only couple of ways to get uh, removed off Spotify is um, if it's if like you know uh, streaming fraud or obviously like hate speech or stuff like that. If yeah, if you're if you're committing the streaming fraud, but I'm curious is it if it, if you end up on enough of these botted playlists and they're like yeah. you know whatever, then I would I'm curious if it's like you know if they would ban you for being on those playlists like that after a while. I don't know. Mm. Maybe so. They're so know. big. They're so big that it'd be hard to plead your case. Like if they thought you were fraudulent, like you'd have to go through quite the process. You'd probably have to hire a lawyer to get back on there if you wanted to. Yeah. Well, um, and especially now, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but we've been talking about it on the last few episodes, actually, uh, where Spotify is having a real hard time competing with their uh, competitors like Apple and YouTube and Amazon because. The, the only service that Spotify offers is streaming and they're uploading, you know, they're dealing with a hundred thousand uploads a day, right? So it's like their servers can't handle it. It's costing them money. The vast majority of, of the artists on Spotify are not generating any revenue for them. It's like literally a few artists at the top right. and like the rest of, and those artists are basically pay, paying for the rest of the artists to be on there. And then Apple and YouTube are just like, well, yeah, we have literally everything else. And we can take a hit on the streaming. We don't really care if it's going to put you out of business because Spotify is the biggest streaming platform out of all of them. Right. You know, so especially now if they kick you off, they're for sure not going to let you back on, <laughs> I don't think. Right. And furthermore, I think they're going to be looking for more reasons to kick people off now. I would agree. All right, guys, I want to take a second to talk to you about my favorite music store in Jacksonville. This is Mock Shop Music Exchange. It's a place for true gearheads. They work with some of the most boutique pedal companies on the market, which for someone like me is super important. I love supporting smaller brands, but I also like being able to create my own unique sound. And with the variety of boutique brands these guys work with, it's almost certain you'll find that sound. They not only carry an assortment of pedals, amps, and guitars, they also offer top-notch gear repair with everyone's favorite tech, Mikey. These guys have come through for me in a pinch more than on a few occasions, and I won't spend my money anywhere else. So make sure you guys check out Mock Shop Music Exchange in the Murray Hill neighborhood of Jacksonville. You will not regret it. Super knowledgeable, amazing gear. Check it out and enjoy the experience. Yeah, and I, to me, I don't know how you look at it, but I don't, the only reason I'm on there is like as a discovery tool, I, I've known from the beginning that it's not very lucrative unless you really truly blow up. Yeah. Um, like you don't really get a lot from the streams. Um, but it's the ease of listening and, and, you know, it's the number one used platform. So it's like probably the easiest way for people to share your music. Like totally. if, if my friends in Jacksonville want to share the music with a friend that I don't know somewhere, you know, that's not in Jacksonville, they are probably sending them a Spotify link. Totally. I would, I would guess. Yeah. Well, it also legitimizes you as an artist when you're like looking at booking, you know, shows yeah. and, and trying to get representation and further like, you know, everybody wants to see a Spotify link. For sure. Um, so I don't, <clears throat> I don't know, to me at least, I don't really look at that. To me, I'm, it shows and, you know, eventually merch, hopefully, is how you, I 
from what I understand how you make your money, at least in the sort of the lane that I'm in, um, the streaming is just like a discovery tool. Like yeah. I, I don't even really look at the, it, it's so, it's such a little number. <laughs> like it's not even worth looking at. I just leave it in my TuneCore dashboard. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't look at it as a money making venture, at least the Spotify angle. Yeah, not at least. I'd rather sell the album on Bandcamp. I, I do name your price and oh, nice. You know, I'd rather sell it on Bandcamp Friday than than have people go listen on Spotify. But it just depends on what people choose to do. Yeah, for sure. I I think that there isn't an angle to make money on on the streaming platforms. I think that once you start generating real numbers, I think that you have leverage and you can renegotiate with the platform, like uh, how much you're getting paid per stream. That happens a lot with people. Like Taylor Swift is not making what you, are, what you and I are, are making per stream. <laughs> you right? don't say. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, and that's not by accident. Believe me, if she right. didn't have a team of people that were arguing on her behalf, she would be making what we're making per stream. Well, yeah, I think she went off the platform for a while, Yeah, uh, which I applaud her for, honestly. I mean... It's kind of gutsy to be like, hey, I'm not going to be on the number one platform. But then it they, works in her they, favor. They ponied up, I think. Well, they needed to. Yeah. She's like one of the highest. She's she's Garth Brooks is still not on there. Oh, you really? Yeah. yeah, they're not paying him enough to be on there. He sells his CDs at Walmart. And right. And he, yeah, he's also his like his fan base that works. Right. Yeah. Like Taylor Swift can't do that because her right. fan base is streaming. They're not buying albums. Right. I don't think Garth Brooks has a, has a real fan under 40 years old. You know what I mean? <laughs> Whoa, dude, watch yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not 40 yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, don't talk about Garth that way. Oh, man. I, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, you know. There's a, I'll, save it. I'll save it for an unpopular opinion, but there's a whole Garth conspiracy out there. Yeah, that, there sure is. It was started by Tom, Tom Segura. Tom Segura turned me on to. So if uh -oh. you want to do your own research, maybe. Uh, are you familiar with Tom Segura? I, I love Tom Segura. I don't know this Garth. Um, oh, there she is. Conspiracy theory. She made it. Hi, Melody. I was wondering when this was going to come up. Um, uh, yeah, so Tom Segura basically has a, has a, this fake um, uh, conspiracy theory that he's a serial killer, <laughs> and he just like kills people in every city that he tours in. <laughs> and he was making a joke one time just based off of an interview that he saw on his podcast, Your Mom's House podcast. Yeah. And hit... Your mom's house fans started going on to Garth Brooks' post and saying, "We know you did it, Garth. Where are the bodies, Garth?" <laughs> Garth, it's like it's like hilarious. The internet's such a strange place. It man. really is, That's... man. To the point where Garth Brooks had people reach out to Tom Segura and be like, "Hey, man, you need to chill yeah. with this because it's like literally flooding our socials." That's so. Where are the bodies, Garth? Yeah, just exactly. look. I mean, look at how many. <laughs> That's a very Tom Segura sounding thing. I fucking that love guy's, that guy. He's hilarious. One uh, of my favorites. Garth Brooks admits to murder. <laughs> 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 Things you see on TikTok. <laughs> all right, what's another uh, bottom of the bill or bottom line news anyway, thing? Anyway, let's get do? out of there. Um, all right, let's check it out. <clears throat> um, if you see anything that strikes you, well, slow down. My glasses oh, I'm on. Sorry, I'm speeding around. Meta there. and iHeartRadio launch new trailer for. I don't care about. That. Oh no, oh, that's VR, your VR concert, concert experience. Let's do that real quick. That's a trailer. That's a hard pass for me. The VR concert experience. Oh boy, here we go again. Look at that trailer. All right. Um, <laughs> new trailer reveal. A 45-minute concert. Wow. 180s. Um, yeah, 180-degree concert experience created explicitly for VR, taking viewers to a 
uh, career retrospective. That's kind of a cool thing. Here's okay. Here's where I stand on the VR thing. Okay, because as somebody who who came from a more traditional way of music, I sympathize with that argument. However, I'm as I've gotten you know to be more involved with the music industry stuff. I I try and like think of the angle and where technology can work for us, right? So to me, I think that how creative we can become with a VR experience as artists is like endless. We don't know what we can do yet. I think that it allows us to not have to worry about the overhead of touring at some point. We can literally just be in one space and put on concerts for the entire world. And then you can take that one experience and you can repackage it and resell it and just monetize it forever, right? So it's like, I, I know, like a, musician, a lot of musicians hate the way that I think about we this could, kind of shit. We couldn't have a more opposite view on this particular point. I, I, you know, I, I would have guessed that. <laughs> um, but like, so I will say it's not completely useless. Like I, I, I think the technology is amazing, yeah. and I think there are certain uses that would be cool, um, especially like during COVID or if you're like, you know, disabled, like some people, you know, would particularly benefit by being able to attend a concert, you know, from the comfort of their own home. I get all that. Like that part's pretty cool actually. Yeah. But as far as like replacing oh, or just, I don't want to incentivize artists to like not go tour. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's think not, it, I think it's not touring the, benefits a lot of things. I agree, um, including local economies and all that stuff. I 100% agree. I don't think it's the VR incentivizing artists not to tour. It's the overhead now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because like, everything is so expensive, like from gas to just like the products that you buy the day on the day to day. Yeah. Like, and then when you're touring with, you know, a crew of whatever dozens, hundreds of people, especially at, a, at the pop level, and you're bringing stages and you're bringing lights and full production. Yeah. Like it's just, you're talking about their overhead per show is surpassing a million dollars. So you got to and this is why Taylor Swift tickets now are $500 to get like, you know, floor seats for her. Right. Cause like, yeah, I've got to make up my money and other, like I can't, Taylor Swift can't do, you know, like, her production can't be, um, I don't know, like a revolution production, for instance, right? Her production has to be a Taylor Swift production. That's what her fans are paying to go and see. So they, okay, if you want that production, this is what it costs you. Or you can buy a VR headset and I can do this and then you can pay $25 to, to get the live experience. And then after the fact, if you couldn't be there that night, you can purchase the experience for 10 bucks or whatever and then have the full-on experience there. But it's not, See, <laughs> it's not the full-on experience, though. No, but it's a full-on virtual experience. That's, yeah. that's what I meant. I, okay. I'm not... I'm not that's what I'm saying is there's a reason it's $25 and $500. Sure. <clears throat> I'm not suggesting that we sorry. should be replacing live performances. Yeah. And I think that before... I don't think that anybody at you know a theater level or below is going to be replacing touring with VR experiences anytime soon. Yeah. Like maybe like Umfries is doing some stuff. Like there's some people that are, but like just overall, I don't know how uh, economical that shift is going to be for a lot of people. And I think that there's, there's always going to be a population of people that want the live experience. Right. Yeah. I guess I just, I don't know. I'm speaking purely like not even as a musician, just like as a consumer, like yeah. I would never buy that. 
Really? Ever. <laughs> you just just not even experience it? You don't even want to oh, see no. what it's like? No. Really? Wow. Because I think it's like, I don't know, music is supposed to be live. But that's, again, I'm kind of biased because that's the way I enjoy it the most. Right, right. But um, it also, I feel like certain markets would just no longer even be on people's tour radar because it's like, oh, we can skip the Jacksonville's. Um, we'll just do a VR show. Yeah, I don't. The thing is that that markets grow and cities grow, and you know, I think that Jacksonville is not always going to be like a C market. I think it will be. It's one of the fastest growing cities in the country. Yeah, you know, and then people are fleeing the the larger cities because it's too expensive or whatever it might be. I think that we're going to be seeing like a disbursement of population across the board. So I think a lot. I think we're we're going to even the playing field a little bit. I think. Yeah, I hope so. In that Um, regard. So I don't know, but it like, sucks for the young fan that's in a city like that where, you know, maybe they were on the radar, but then they cut the dates from, you know, say they go from 60 dates to 20 dates. Right. Those other 40 cities that the, the fans can't actually go see the their favorite artists. Like that sucks. Sure. It really sucks. You're totally right. And and I think that, you know, that that could be a possibility, but I don't know. I, I'm. It'd be interesting to see how it. Like, plays out right yeah, like, yeah. You know, the technology itself i kind of split the difference of you two like i think if something like this oh, way became, to walk the fucking fence bro <laughs> way to pick a side oh yeah well, yeah you want to hear <laughs> this idea or what you no know, it's cool yeah you're right anyway any next topic what do we got yeah. <laughs> all right what, what, um, what do you got to so say no it's if something like this became like the new nugs.net i think that's where it gets its like most popularity because there's so many people that like you know, want to listen to a show the night after. And if someone's got, you know, a couple yeah. hours at the end of the day, instead of watching a TV show, they can check out this show. Or if they heard like, oh, this particular show was crazy. I need to go check it out. Like if it's almost like a streaming service, not it's not something that replaces it. But like if you're not in Milwaukee and you want to see what, what the deal was, you go and yeah. pay 20 bucks and jump on and check it out. Like that's kind of like a luxury we get. I don't that's what I'm We're, saying, though. Not, so. Yeah, but it's like you're saying, like, oh, I can, I can skip when they come to my town. And <laughs> no, like, I'm not, I didn't say that. Well, it I didn't sounded say it. like it. <laughs> that's not what I said that's at all. That's what I heard. That's I'm what it sounded. Well, <laughs> heard, two of us heard it. So <laughs> what I was, all I was saying is, is that there's an experience to be had. You can buy it and watch it live virtually, or you can buy it after the fact. At no point, and in fact, I said that I'm not making the argument for it to be to, to replace live music, right? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, if it's just a sort of a supplementary thing for the people who couldn't attend the show, I, I get the benefit of it. I, I just, I know me personally, I would never pay for a VR experience concert. Yeah. Um, I've watched one on Nugs. It was during COVID and, uh, you know, a family member gave me the show as a gift and it was cool. Like, I really enjoyed watching it. It's one of my favorite bands, but it's not something that I would ever... I also am just not anti VR, but it's kind of like I don't know. I feel it's, like technology. It's like technology is not my favorite thing. I in feel the, you. in the world all the time. So <laughs> let me pitch this to you, right? Yeah. What if augmented reality and virtual reality have a baby <laughs> and create this full-on thing? where you put on a virtual headset and, I don't know, walk in like a wetsuit or something, right? And you can literally feel like you're right there and hear it like you're to the point where like you could be smoking a joint in the comfort of your own home, look next to you and pass it to somebody else 
who's also holding a joint and they can feel like you just passed them a joint. <laughs> It'd be that real. What would you do that? What, what do you think then? Well, I wouldn't be smoking a joint, but I also... <laughs> yeah, I, I don't smoke weed either. I'm just hypothetical here. I also... Uh, it depends on whether you know you're entering a like sort of version of that or if you're like unconscious before you even enter you know what i'm saying well, okay. like if, I, if i know fair that, point if it i could, know that i'm in like a piece of technology it still is not going to feel the same way it would feel like if you were you and i were in a vr chat like it's I, i'm not gonna it's not gonna feel the same you're gonna way. know that you're in a vr yeah, chat that, that's yeah. part of being human that's, yeah, yeah i guess that's my ultimate point is they can do all they want with this technology until you're truly like unconscious i think before you enter the oh, technology like, it'll get there. like the matrix <laughs> it'll, it'll get there it'll get there it's, it might it's, already be there but, yeah it, totally <laughs> but I, you see what i'm saying like 100 if you know you're in some type of version of it then it's not the real thing right and you'll know that it's not the real thing i think the human mind is an easily uh trickable thing yeah you know i mean i mean you can simulate it and it feels close probably but i think you'll still know and you'll still miss it also depends on the kind of show, though, because I think those bigger, like, sort of stadium productions, mm-hmm. it, it might almost, VR might almost be perfect for that. It'll be better, I think, because it's just like hearing it and a seeing it. listening room. Like, yeah. yes, that's going to be real hard to. Where the human emotion thing is like, I don't know. I don't think we're going to see that experience in VR for a long time. I think that we're going to see Hopefully this kind never. of stuff first, the stadium shows and like, Maybe like festivals that they're doing now, I think we'll start seeing that yeah. sooner than later. And I don't think that the technology is going to be anywhere near the live experience for at least another 50 years or 25 years maybe with it. It's exponential. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But um, I do think that uh, I don't want to replace live music. I think that's for sure where it's going, especially now with pandemics and all this stuff being so fresh and people wanting to stay in and blah, 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 yeah. all that stuff. I think that's for sure going to replace live music at some point. Um, but I don't think that that's going to be in our lifetime where it fully replaces the experience. I, I don't see that happening. Yeah, I mean, people like, I mean, you're seeing it after COVID, right? I, at least I think people like human interaction. Totally. Not all of us. I mean, some of us, are like I'm introverted, but I still love human interaction. I need my time to myself to sort of I refill my cup, I guess. Like, you know, it can be draining being around people all the time, but we still need that, like, dynamic and connection i think yeah um i, agree. I think people frankly after covid were kind of craving that and still are on some level for sure yeah um so vr i don't know how you can if there's a way that they can recreate that in vr then they'll be onto something and they are into something they're gonna make a lot of money but, yeah totally but i just it won't be for everybody i don't think but i, I wouldn't say i'm anti i guess i'm just like resistant yeah, yeah i feel that i think a healthy level of resistance towards any technology is good Anybody that hops on board anything right away, it's like... Sign me up. Yeah. Like, for instance, fucking Chris and Steve and uh, Steve Honing and all those guys, these guys are super into, like, the the Bluetooth fucking cables. What are you talking about? You're not? Bro, I had... You heard the story when I was playing the biggest show I've played to date, and the the wireless cable crapped out on me, and I thought it was the guitar, threw the guitar down, grabbed another guitar that was transposed a half step down <laughs> and then had to like play the rest of the set transposing. <laughs> I fucking hate wireless cables, man. All right. Well, Honig is all on board with that stuff. I love you, bro, but he's <laughs> all on board with this shit and I am not there yet. 
I'm not there. Just having a battery in my guitar freaks me out. Yeah, same. Because it's because it's not even like it's not even like I'm a, again. I'm not against the idea. I'm resistant yeah. to hop on right now because <laughs> right. it's like it's not perfected yet. So it's like why would I like take the risk if I'm playing a real show using something that I know is going to be glitchy? Yeah. You know, like like let it breathe. Let it let it figure itself out. Let it. Have trial and error. Give it a few years, and then that's actually a good. I think that's good strategy with most technologies. Like right when it comes out, just wait until they work the kinks out, and then then get it. Totally. You know, if you buy the first version of something, odds are something's gonna go haywire. Totally. Um, at least it seems that way. For sure, man. Yeah. I mean, that's that's just how it goes. It literally, literally, every piece of technology that comes out is like that. You know. Yeah, especially if they rush it to retail because. There's a competition to be the first one, you know. Yeah. What was that? That phone, that one Galaxy phone, kept blowing up in people's. Like, <laughs> I don't remember that. That was a few years ago. It was like the Galaxy Note or something. I think mm. it came out, and it was like <laughs> literally people were talking on it, and it was blowing up, like catching on fire. It was like okay, safety bro, feature. Yeah. yeah, it's like yeah, it's, a, yeah. it's like this hasn't been fully fleshed out yet. Maybe we don't rush a product yeah. trying to compete with Apple on something. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think some of the early, sorry, some of the early electric cars, I think uh, they didn't have problems like that, but it was like whatever the first like American mass-produced electric car was, like it wasn't something that the people who bought it were like long-term satisfied. It was like they had to go, it might have been the Prius, the very first Prius. Yeah. Now electric cars are like pretty com pretty Tesla commonplace. Thing is like yeah. huge now, yeah. and they're way more affordable than they were. So, right, right. Um, it's just one of those things. If you wait till all the all the major manufacturers are on board, and then they're competing on the price, it's probably a better time to buy than like the first company comes out with the first one. A hundred percent. Yeah, a hundred percent. But then like you also need the people that want to jump on it right away. Yeah. <laughs> because then it's like the companies know that there's a, a demand for it. Yeah. If nobody buys it right away because everyone wants to wait a few years, then they're just not going to produce them. And they are the ones who work out the kinks for us. Exactly. Like by by wanting to be the first ones to buy it. Um, exactly. <laughs> we we reap the rewards. Exactly. I fucking love that fucking sheeple, bro. <laughs> Another term that I hate so much. God damn. Uh, let's do one more bottom line news because that, that one was uh, was a good one. We've already yeah. talked about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, Me at company blowing up catalog tracks on Spotify. No. Trailer officially closes the Julie bot despite multiple missing. No, don't care about that. Oh, that's just for shits and gigs. Who's the highest paid entertainers of 2022? Okay. This whole spear thing is a close second for me, but. Uh, U2, UV. With the whole the whole you've have you heard about the sphere in Vegas? This is just yeah, I've side, heard right? about it. Yeah, actually, let's let's do that. I've heard about this. Um, I I do want to see the other one, so we'll just stop on our way out on that. But okay. the sphere is uh, supposed it's supposedly going to be like one of the best concert live concert experiences. So to to go away from one of the worst live concert experiences <laughs> of, of VR. Um, so U2 is going to be the first band that plays this show. And from what I've seen about the Sphere is like, it, there's, I mean, speakers just 360 degrees around you. Like every seat in the house has like a perfect mix, supposedly. Not only are they the, are they the first band to, to do it, they're, in, they're directly involved with uh, the infrastructure of the whole thing. Like that, like they they're really yeah yeah because I Bono was interviewed on Smartless. Okay, you're listening yeah, yeah. to Smart Smartless before. Uh. It's like Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and okay. uh, 
uh, Sean Hayes, really good podcast. That sounds good. I like those guys. Yeah, I've never listened though. It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> yeah. But Bono was on there talking about this exact. He couldn't go into any details. It wasn't announced yet at the time. But he was talking. He said, "We're he said, we're, we're partnering with a company to do this whole thing in Vegas. It's going to be next level. Like, no, but we can't really talk about it. So this is it. So that yeah. yeah. So that's pretty cool." Um, yeah, so they hadn't played since 2019, yada, yada, yada. 16K screen that wraps around the whole entire venue. The Sphere immersive sound delivers perfect audio everywhere. Wow. Um, 4D tech is putting wind on people, heat on the skin, thunder. Uh, it's more VR than a VR. Yeah. <laughs> Legit. No. Legit. Uh, but it's a real in-person experience. Um, okay, so, so this, okay. I love this because this brings me to my next thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready for it. The live experience just has to compete. You know what I mean? Compete with, with, with VR. Like it has to compete now. You have to. You have to. You have to. You have to give people a fucked. You have to give people a reason to not do the VR thing. See, I think people are gonna find their what they're looking for from live music. I think. Yeah. Whether for sure. it's something like that, like that th- sounds amazing. And obviously I would go if somebody bought my ticket, Yeah, <laughs> but you know what I'm trying to say? Like totally. if somebody wants to be in the back of a dive bar drinking, you know, bottled beer, that's where they're going to enjoy live music. Sure. Yeah. That's never going to go away. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I don't think those bars need to compete with the VR experience, no. but I do get what you're saying, especially on the bigger, like those international superstars, yeah. That, that's where the competition is, I guess, because that's that's where they're making all their money, is, right? You know, these artists that generate all that revenue, so. right? Yeah. So I think that, like, you know, obviously the VR thing is not gonna like if you're playing at you know Monkey's Uncle or something at the beach, like you don't have to worry about that kind of shit. But if you're doing <laughs> stuff like this, then yeah, like I think that's where live music can can thrive or at least stay relevant is like you're gonna have to compete with the vr experience and that's what this is doing right here this is literally like this is a band that's been around for 50 years and they're like fuck no we're not going down with this with the ship we're gonna we're gonna create we're gonna build a new ship that's what they're doing i think that's that's pretty dope yeah you can't get that level of sound and the wind and I also, they might spray water on them for all yeah. we know. Yeah, I totally. Know. Well, I think it's I think it's the next logical step, and it makes sense. It's in Vegas because like yeah. the Vegas shows and the residencies are always kind of like the most you know flashy kind of thing. So like for this to be in Vegas, it feels like the Vegas thing to do for a show. So like, yeah. I can't imagine that spheres are going to start popping up everywhere. Maybe if one it in works, LA. they will. No, but like maybe one in L.A., one in New York, or something. You know, like I think there would there's going to be like a handful of them possibly. If it works, they'll do it everywhere. For I, sure. I don't know. I maybe. Have, yeah. Have they shown any renditions of like what the seating looks like on the inside? Yeah, let's let's find one. Yeah, I think because I'm curious. Like, I don't know. It sounds insane. Yeah, totally. Uh, like, how are you facing? I don't know, like where the stage is relative so to this is kind of the majority it's, of seating. It's a little small, I wonder. Uh, so that's what it looks like. That's the thing. So this, it's kind of tiny, but it, it does look like an arena almost. I think yeah. it goes around in a circle. Stages in the middle. Now, are they going to sit people upside down on this thing? Yeah. Right, because it's a sphere. So like, <laughs> when they just keep building all the way around, otherwise, what are you doing? Just use an right. arena. Yeah, just all this useless air up here and rafters. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking useless. 
Oh, well, cool. it's, it said it's during the Super Bowl, the first show, so that makes sense too. They'll probably make a billion dollars. Oh yeah, I mean, they're gonna need to just to recoup their investment <laughs> on this thing. So that's that's a cool little sidebar. Do we care about the uh, the who made how much money? No, I don't care about that anymore. Good, <laughs> unless you want to see who made the most money last no. year. Yeah. <laughs> All we know, it's it was Genesis for anyone that's curious. So there you go. What? <laughs> <laughs> now you're interested. That's. So wild to me. Look, that is kind of wild. And Sting was next, so that's not what. I, and Tyler Perry was third. That uh, makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, okay, I was not gonna guess. Uh, that Taylor Swift is about what I was gonna guess. Two hundred and thirty million dollars. Two hundred and thirty million. Genesis. Well, that sucks though, right? Because that's that's almost three times as much as Taylor Swift, though. That's insane to me. Right, but there's what four or five guys in that band. Yeah. Right. So they're probably individually making less than what Taylor Swift is making when you consider their overhead. Well, she's paying her crew and her, you know. Bad Bunny, that's not surprising. James Cameron, Rolling Stones. I'm so blown away by Genesis. How did that happen? Yeah, in 2022. I love Genesis. I'm just curious. I didn't even know that they were um, still a band. <laughs> like, Yeah. I was, yeah, I'm trying to see what it says well, on here. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they played at the Sphere. Yeah, I think so. Oh, Genesis Music Rights sale uh, helped them get that. Oh, uh, okay, they that sold makes all their. Okay, there it is. If you sell your catalog, that makes sense. Yep. yep. So they're really not doing much these days, except selling off everything. That's wild. A Genesis yard sale. Someone's about to die, bro. That's why they're getting their estate ready to go. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Cheery way to I top off twenty twenty two. If I had a valuable catalog at the end, I'd sell it probably a hundred percent. So that way I could provide for my family. You know what I mean? Totally. And set him up for life. Uh, the my dad's in the band. The singer in his band, uh, this guy Billy Levisey, very talented uh, songwriter and guitar player and everything. Um, he uh, he's been recording music since like the seventies, and uh, he's got like, a home studio, like a legit analog home studio. It's like it's beautiful, and uh, he was sitting on like you know dozens and dozens of songs. It, like from back in the 80s and he's like he works with uh you know music managers and stuff and they were helping that they, they, they asked him like hey do you have uh music that sounds like it's from the 80s but it's not actually you know popular music from like from the 80s but right. he was like yeah i've got tons of it so he <laughs> sold the catalog for like a ton of money that's awesome and it's like just music he was sitting on for 40 years 30 yeah. years or whatever you know so that's pretty cool that's really cool. Did he have the recordings? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, full-on productions not of just, them and everything. Yeah. Yep. And it's cool. It's like... But that's what I meant. Like, not demos, but, like, he actually produced the songs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's awesome. Just stuff that they didn't release over the years, you know, and just, you know, didn't make the albums or whatever. And it was like, yeah. It's just like, what what a... That's why it's so important to just, like, tr even, like, demo stuff out. Just record everything that you got, you know? I can't remember who it was. God, what band were they talking about? Oh, it's the uh, Chili Peppers. They would record like, like when they first got in the studio with Rick Rubin, they would record like an ungodly amount of songs, and then they would just start whittling it down and whittling it down. Yeah. So they have like all these other tracks that don't make it on the album. Right. Um, which was kind of fascinating to me. Like on a on a twelve track album, they might have recorded like thirty, forty songs. Right. Right. Um, in studio, fully produced, right? Like not just recorded, right? <laughs> That's what they do, is and they because like you want to have stuff to to pull from, like you don't want to yeah. 
record 12 songs and say and like that be your only option yeah you know it kind of blew my mind though to think about how many and how many hours you're putting in the studio for something like that especially a full band yep i mean it's not like me just sitting there and pressing the space bar and like you know playing it one time through it's like a full song yeah fully worked out played produced and all that guys yeah and they're just like you know not this one we don't think this one's gonna work we do this one it's crazy because like you have to literally pick you know 12 songs that you think are gonna be like hits right that's the idea yeah so you know only like you know hopefully one hits like the idea is that you're gonna get three or four singles out of the thing yeah but you have to pick 12 songs you think are are viable at that level you know Wild. yeah man it's crazy so it's such a wild industry it really is thing, man you know it's uh very expensive to maintain but like and like all the business stuff is so like it's interesting because it's like you start to realize how things work and you're like that's kind of crazy and like how creative the business can get as a, as a musician to me i find that interesting as well but at the end of the day like none of us got into it for that Oh yeah, we just want to play music. Yeah, and it's like it's it's such a hard thing, you know. And like nowadays, where it's all on you to like prove yourself to be like viable financially and otherwise before you can get any kind of investment. <laughs> right. And you're just like, okay, well, by the time I do that, what do I need you for other than just the relief of not doing everything for myself? Honestly, I think just from watching like the rise of some of, particularly in like country Americana. Um, there's been a lot of like the newer acts and it, it sure seems like that truly is the reason that they, I mean, there's obviously other benefits, uh, including the financial, but they can book their own stuff, but it, it just makes it that much easier to have a relationship with, with someone who has a relationship with all these venues. And then, you know, you can go tour Europe, you can set up your first cross country national tour. You can start headlining at places that you haven't been in yet. It's not that they necessarily need, because by that point they've they've built everything on their own pretty right. much. So I think they're capable of it, but it is like that much of a it frees up your time because I don't know putting the, together the logistics of a a whole big national thing. I can't even imagine doing that by yourself. Yeah, it sucks. Man. Um, without having like a professional team, whether that's a label or an agency or whatever it is. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, to do it at like. Yeah, I can't imagine. I've done like, you know, 10 day tours with the band and like done logistics for that kind of stuff, which is frustrating enough because you got to figure out like travel time and expenses and then like load in details and like what the keep track of like what the deal for each show is. And then like, you know, your overhead and then like, you know, just all like and then spreadsheets and all that, which takes like hours and hours and hours to build out. Yeah. And it's like that stuff is crazy. I can't imagine with the intricacy of like a national headlining act doing like a 30 day tour or something. Yeah. Like there's so many little things. Like you, yeah. At that point you need somebody to do it. And also like, like an agent and a manager, like at the end of the day, they don't, they don't really care about your music, which is like a bonus or like a benefit to you because like, they don't care about like not getting the price that they want to get you. You know, it's like an artist is like, yeah, I just want to play, man. Like, Hey, <laughs> you can like vastly underpay me. I just want people to hear my shit and buy my merchandise. Yeah. But an agent's like, no, this is what you're worth and this is what we're going to stick with. <laughs> and like, you know, and let me negotiate all that for you so you don't have to worry about that shit. You know? Yeah, no, it kind of protects themselves. It's similar in sports. It's like, you know, you might just want to play the game, but the agent's like, hey, you, you know, you might get injured tomorrow. Like, we got to get this deal done and 
Yeah. It's exactly that, man. Um, I, I don't think I'll ever be at that point, but it, it definitely is. Uh, it's fascinating to watch, like when somebody goes from, like they're building it DIY themselves, and then suddenly they sign with a label, and they, you know, they've got the agent, the booking agent. Uh, they tour across the pond, and you know, do the whole deal. Um, and like us, like we were saying, like they could probably do it themselves. There's just not enough time in the day. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like, like if you're gonna do all that, when are you writing and playing? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So exactly. Yeah. Um, I think you've got, uh, uh, you know, an like a good combination of talent and humility that like somebody will recognize that and come on board to like get you to that level huh. because like there's a thing we'll see man that's very kind of you to say it's but. not even like <laughs> i'm not even just saying that like like there there's a legit thing where like people that have resources see talent and they're like this is very marketable like i can definitely sell help this guy sell records and he's not going to do it himself like he's too humble to understand like what he fully has so I'm going to be that guy to come in and help. And I think that you have enough humility and you have definitely the talent there where like that perfect storm is like, that's what gets people on board. Because if you come off super confident in what you're doing and all that shit, like you might need the help, but like, people don't want to help you because they think that you got it all figured out, you know? So I think you got like a good mix of the, of the two, of the two, man. Well, so thanks, dude. keep I mean, on keeping on with it. I'm excited to see what you got going on and all the singles are going to be released. When's this episode dropping, Chris? The 20, uh, 26th. When's your next single dropping? So I don't know yet. I did these two, and then I'm working with an artist on artwork for the next one. Um, I'm thinking end of April, okay. and then end of May, and then I'll record again in June. Okay, it's cool. The play, a rough plan, you know. Gotcha. Yeah, uh, I got it. Totally, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, everyone stay, keep a lookout for your next single, for Rambler Kane's next single. Um, I'm stoked to hear it, man. Um, Thanks so much for having me, man. Yeah, this man, it's been an fun. absolute Appreciate pleasure. It. Really, I really enjoyed this. Um, let's do some unpopular opinions before we get out of here. All right. And then uh, we'll wrap this up. What you got, Chris? All right. Um, so bluegrass and jazz are so much more related than most people want to give them credit for. Um, and that's kind of the unpopular opinion in a nutshell. Um, what is crazy to me is that their fan bases don't really love each other. Like one thinks it's all like bluegrass thinks jazz is like this heady, sophisticated music. And jazz thinks bluegrass is like this, you know, hick, uneducated music. And they like spawned in similar ways. And like they have similar like kind of forms, like one's, you know, more diatonic to a, key center but like there's a there's a melody a theme that runs through the whole tune um there's improvised sections there's communications and the rhythm sections and things like that like i think they're like such a close close art form and people just don't give that the love it deserves i don't know i would agree with that yeah i mean that seems like a fair point i think there's like you know, you have like heads that you play and like you have improv sections and it's all like, you know, not as, especially like in bluegrass, it's not as like simple as people think it is. Like when you're listening to it, if you try and pick apart a bluegrass tune and learn it, there's all like these, you know, one measure phrases or like these, you know, two measure phrases. And then it goes back to something else and like these quick changes and turnarounds and stuff. And it's like, usually the, like there's not a lot of advanced harmony uh, in in bluegrass, and that's probably where the, some of the confusion comes in. 
but the tech, you know, the technical ability and like the arrangements are, you know, up there with jazz, I would say for sure. A hundred percent. And then you get guys like Tony Rice that do throw some like gnarly harmony into it. Like, uh, Manzanita and he did a couple, like he did four on six, a jazz tune, uh, just right. with a bluegrass band. So I don't know. I just kind of wish each other's fan base would kind of cross the pond a little bit and it'll come around and give it a shot. It's already kind of happening with guys like Julian Lage and stuff like that. Like there's yeah, definitely a crossover uh-huh. for sure. What do you think? I think that's interesting. I never thought about it. Um, so I don't know. I almost think that maybe it's not even an unpopular opinion. It's like you're, you're catching on to something that no that people aren't catching on to yet. That might be true too, yeah. Type of deal. Because I don't think anybody, if you said that, would be like, no, screw you, man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't know. But I've never yeah. thought about... Maybe, uh, maybe phrase it as like bluegrass the two and jazz that are way. just the same. And that'll get people all riled up. <laughs> yeah, that's that'll get good, them fired up. Yeah. Look, if, 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 if harmony isn't indicative of... The, like the genre of music, then you can basically say that, right? Yeah, and but, I'm going with it. Yeah, I mean yeah. that's 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 a good unpopular opinion. Bluegrass is <laughs> Bluegrass jazz. Bluegrass is jazz. Yeah, Bluegrass yeah. is jazz. That's so fucking funny. That's a good one. I like that. Uh, what you got, bro? So I didn't actually prepare one. Um, I know you got so one off the top of your head. I'm trying to think right now. Does it have to be music related, no. or it's just an I, opinion? My, mine's not music related at all. Okay. Um, unpopular. Uh, I don't like mayonnaise. That's a good one. Yeah. So that's or, wild. Or pickles. I don't like pickles either. I totally get that. <laughs> All right. That's gross. No, a lot of people love pickles though. Yeah, you know, and that's uh, and they put them on the side of sandwiches or on sandwiches all the time. Yeah, it's disgusting. <laughs> I agree. Literally, <laughs> um, mayonnaise. I don't use it because I just don't think it's like very healthy. But I do enjoy it. Like I would definitely. I mean, mayonnaise on literally. Any kind of sandwich, turkey sandwich, ham sandwich, a burger, chicken sandwich. That's a no-go. Oh, man, it's so good. Um, I don't mind it if it's, like, mixed in. Like, I know that it's a binding agent or whatever in a lot of things. Yeah, Or yeah. in, like, a sauce that has a bunch of other stuff. Oh, aioli, bro? Yeah. Right. Oh, that's the best. So that kind of thing, I don't mind it. But I'm talking, like, spread mayo on yeah. a sandwich. I can't. I'm not a fan. I feel that. Right there yeah. with you. I'm yeah. the same way. Give me a good aioli all day, but, like... Just mayonnaise on a burger. Yeah. Um, not happening. Maybe it's not that unpopular of an opinion then. No, there's a lot of people that don't that don't like I, it at all. Yeah, I feel yeah. like most people like mayonnaise, but maybe I'm wrong. But there's a lot of people that don't like it, a lot of people that do love it. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I like mayonnaise. I think it's a great topping, but you know, that's just me. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh to me, uh tiramisu is not good. <laughs> okay. Anyone here like tiramisu? Just taking a firm stance on Italian desserts. Yeah, it's just not good. <laughs> It's just not good. Um, I like tiramisu. You like tiramisu? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not anywhere near my favorite dessert, but I like it. I like most desserts, though. So, What about it do you like? Just the flavor. Like, it tastes good. You know? Yeah. <laughs> That's not really a complex answer, but... There's a... You ever watch The Office? Yeah. <laughs> he gets it caught in his throat. Yeah. That's very real, number one. I don't know what that fucking cocoa powder they put on top it's or the powder, whatever. yeah. That shit... It's an espresso powder. It is... Uh, unnecessary at minimum, <laughs> and then the rest of it. Like, where's the texture at? It just feels like I'm eating a like like a big, fluffy, like uh, just it, it feel it feels like I'm eating like flavored whipped cream. I can see that it's not. What were you gonna say, Chris? Sorry. Oh well, no, I was gonna I was gonna get bougie for a second. 
you know, I'm a world traveler. Uh, so I went to Italy and I, that's where it made sense to me is cause I ate 17 pounds of pasta <laughs> and they bring out dessert and the tiramisu was a perfect, oh, yeah. perfect it's ending. It's light. Like I, it's like they're just flying, the heaviest almost. cream sauce pasta yeah. and this fluffy little palate cleanser. And then I was yeah. waddling my way home. It was amazing. <laughs> that makes sense. So in that context. Yeah. But, it's a great Italian dessert. Yeah. <laughs> I guess in that context, I will, I'll, I will cede to that, but that's not the context I've ever eaten it. And so I'm going to yeah, say you're not a world <laughs> traveler yeah, like at, at CC's pizza. At CC's pizza. <laughs> Get yeah. three whole pizzas and some tiramisu for fourteen ninety nine. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm rating desserts, tiramisu is nowhere near the top. So I, I kind of see where you're coming from. Yeah. Like I'd have probably 15 or 20 before that one. Yeah. Total. I mean, yeah, at like, least. Yeah. But. All right. Well, that was fun guys. <laughs> Thank you for indulging us on that last section, man. I appreciate of course, it. yeah. Thank <laughs> you all so much for having me. It's been fun. Hell yeah, Appreciate man. it. Um, all right, well, let's wrap this up. Thank you guys for tuning in. This is another episode of Bottom of the Bill. Make sure you check out Rambler Kane's uh, new singles coming out and existing singles on all the platforms. Um, and go catch him at a show. You can follow him on social media, uh, Rambler Kane. Yeah, just at Rambler Kane. Instagram, Facebook. K-A-N-E. All that good shit, K-A-N-E. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in.